What's cracking, everybody? I'm Ace the Theorist, and this is the Nomad Theory. I often get impassioned at parties late night and end up sharing my theories with unassuming party guests. Sometimes this pisses people off. But Alyssa Beck showed me that even if they don't want to budge in the moment, that a seed was planted. Because we don't have time to be losing these crops. The fracking companies are putting a frack pad two miles away from Alyssa's house in Monroeville, and it will likely destroy the smaller water sources in that area and surely pollute the larger ones. Alyssa Beck is a neurodevelopmental optometrist with an eye for what's inside. Her current ambitions in the realms of protecting public water sources from further pollution ask her to be at her top energy levels on a daily basis. To do this, she eats an extraordinarily healthy diet of vegan foods, meditates amongst trees regularly, and does embody yoga when feeling active. One meditation she finds particularly powerful is looking inside yourself to ask the question, what is it that I'm doing to create this? Instead of externalizing and blaming this politician or that politician. So listen on in this episode for more stories about Alyssa's early activism years, some fresh and up and running environmental entrepreneurship projects, and a taste of her future book. All in all, thanks for listening to The Nomad Theory. I'm Ace the Theorist. Stay wild, folks. Somebody I've been wanting to talk to on the show for a pretty long time, and now it's finally happening at what seems to be a precipice moment. Uh, Today we have... Dr. Alyssa Beck in the house. Welcome, Alyssa. Thanks for coming down. Well, thanks for inviting me. Sure thing. Yeah, I originally wanted to talk to you at, after the peaceful gathering of hands and our yoga. What kind of yoga was that again? Embody yoga. yoga. Right. Lisa Clark. She's really good. And you, you seem to be a heavy, heavy follower, huh? Yeah, you can, you can actually check her out on the internet and uh, do some of the work. Just uh, lay yourself down, get a couple of blankets, and uh, be, be with your breath. It, it was one of the best yoga sessions I've ever had, and I think it was partially because of your, your dialogue. It was, you were speaking throughout the entire thing, guiding us, and that was probably what brought it into me, into myself, as if I was embodying the positions more than anything else, so... Thanks for that. Um, and since then, was lucky enough to check out your reimagined Turtle Creek event over in Braddock earlier this month, about a week ago. Um, so I wanted to take it back real quick, even before then, way before then, and talk about your initial connection to nature. So some of your most heartfelt memories where you look back and say, it was obvious that nature was going to be a part of my life growing up. So I had a cousin, uh, Robert, Robert K. Talk, who was a total connected earth man, geologist. 
and uh, would, would take take me on hikes when I was little. He was about seven years older than me, and we would just uh, we would go rowboating and hiking through the mountains. He was a geologist, and he would pick up every rock and tell me where it came from and how long ago it was formed. And, um, you know, and then I, I loved to run around through the woods as a kid uh, with our dog, our basset hound, Maxwell. And I would run after him. And uh, he had his nose to the ground. And I was just enthralled with being in the woods. I was lucky enough to grow up in a place where woods were real close by. Yeah, that's, we're super lucky. Were you in Pittsburgh? No, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, White oh, Oak, Maryland. outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, and those woods are now houses, but uh, they right. were woods back then. That seems to be happening a lot, huh? And that's what you're all about is maybe not that specifically of tearing down trees, but intervening or creating initiatives to question and potentially go against in a more strategic manner than just thinking, oh, I hate these people. You have a more strategic way of communicating with them that they end up respecting over time. And would you call that activism? I, I, what I'm coming to now is um, just always sensing myself and where I am. And in that beingness, um, of mindfulness and hope and prayer that others will be that also instead of externalizing and saying it's this person's fault, you know, it's this politician's fault because they're, you know, they're stupid and they curse and they're disrespectful. I look inside myself and say, what is it that I'm doing to create this? And so, for example, I was driving here, you know, into Squirrel Hill today for this interview and I was stopped in traffic because there was a lot of traffic. And I looked up and there was a sign that said flammable liquids. Uh, if you have flammable liquids, if you're a truck, you need to exit. And I thought, wait a minute, there's all these fracking trucks that are driving around here. Where are they going? And then I thought, hmm, what, what are the roots? What are the roots of what we're doing? Whose fault is it? We're, we're, we've all been allowing it. We've all been participating, you know. I yeah, was, I look, my gas stove right here, I think it's, a, my house is, a, it's just an apartment, but it's electrically powered for the heat, but does have a gas stove. What the heck are we supposed to do about that? It's, I'm a tenant. I'm not going to make the landlady change her stove, but that seems to be a direct connection to why these companies are even doing so well. So we're all participating, yeah. And so when I came to that realization, then I, I just took a big breath. And I realized there's no other out there. It's us. And it's not, it, it's in our DNA. It's been generational. We're colonial. You know, we're colonialists. Um, and there's a lot of anger. A lot of people are angry. A lot of PTSD. I think the whole world, the whole wide world, is angry with PTSD and in recovery from all the destruction and degradation. But what can we do? Just look into yourself. Somebody I work with said, do you meditate? I said, yeah, I meditate once a day. He said, you need to meditate twice a day. So... 
as I meditate, the world comes through, and then we know what to do. Do you prefer meditating amongst trees? I would love to meditate all the time amongst trees. Maybe not today because it's a blizzard. It's like Hoth from Star Wars. (laughs) I often listen to to Deepak Chopra. Sometimes I do his guided meditation. He's pretty good. I think he's funny, isn't he? He's kind of like a comedian, as mm. like take on spirituality. It's it, it it's hard to say. He does these twenty one day meditation series that are really great, and 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 they're free, like a couple times a year, free for those twenty one days plus five. They let it go for five days, and then you can listen. And then um, if you want to buy the thing, you know, right away for thirty five dollars or something afterwards, you can. But but it's uh, he's. He's evolving all the time, and like so, each time they release a new one, he used to do it with Oprah. I don't, I don't know if it's funny. It's, it's. He sounds. Like he's got an iconic name, and uh, doing it with Oprah, like to do guided meditation with Oprah, that that really make, takes a, a different angle on the whole like selling meditation type of thing. But I mean, he seems to be one of the best, based on what I've heard about him. Uh, so. When you were you went to college at some point, uh, before then, had you done any sort of activism, or was there like a first group you were part of, maybe at school or otherwise? Ah, uh, it's an interesting question. I I think when I was young, like in sixth grade, um, we went to a place called Barty Ranch. In I don't know, it was a field trip, and uh, we we. What was the question? I lost like the what question. What was your first activism? Activism. I, I don't... My first activism group. Yeah, I did. I don't know. When I was like in ninth grade, the, the Kidney Foundation maybe? I was walking door to door to get donations. Was that the beginning of activism? So what was your motivation doing it at that point? I have no idea. My my mother was in the League of Women Voters and she had... She would always like... They sold calendars at the time. So my brother was reminding me the other day she had... We had stacks of calendars, so she modeled that. Was mm-hmm. was I an activist when I was, you know, licking envelopes for the League of Women Voters when I was a kid? I'd say so. But at that point, I mean, most kids wouldn't say, "Mom, I want to go door knock door to door." But for you, for you at that point, there must have been some sort of, at the very least, internal incentive, um, internal motivation, drive that made you want to do that. That. I'm sure has only grown over the years to get to the point now where you're in charge of all these groups and working with people in depthly. I don't know if I'm in charge. Or yeah, maybe like I have more, been. You're, you're certainly a part of it. Like I have been in point. charge, and now I'm hoping to be modeling mm. what everybody needs to be doing in charge of themselves to feel the confidence, the empowerment to move in space in mindful ways for our regenerative future. We've we got to get this going. Regenerative. Re- regenerative. So it's not just sustainable, but it's like re- giving back more than we take. Instead of extracting the coal and all the, the stuff, um, how can we live lightly? So if it's, not, if it's an apartment that somebody else owns, what steps can you take? Hey, maybe you're leaving here in a week, but maybe you'll have a conversation with the landlord before you leave. And say, hey, did you ever think of uh, of uh, putting solar panels on the roof of your building? And you know, then you just listen. You you meditate first, and then you listen, and you you 
you see the reaction and then you know you've planted that seed. And then there's so many layers and levels of things that, that, um, that, that pour out. That, that type of conversation can be difficult to have. And I think it requires an element of taste and compassion to be able to look at the, look, look into the other person's life and see where they probably maybe had came from and, after that, you can ask questions about that. And if they are impassioned about a certain aspect of it, maybe uh, it's hard to say question it, but I, I would be open to provoking people a little bit as long as you can, if, if the person you're talking to can tell that you're not like pushing something on them. It's more they can feel by your tone of voice that, they, that you seriously want to help them and some of them might be open to it. Like I was at a party the other night and one of my friends was saying, trying to get people to talk about their like internal feelings and chakras and connecting energy. We wanted to have like a circle, but this was a more like a young professional, everyone getting super drunk party. So I was talking and I got really inspired because somebody was talking and I had to, uh, a conversation about the end of the world. Like the, we're saying humans are essentially screwed. And I think it's okay to think about that, have be imaginative about the potential future without doubt and have trust in yourself that you can come back after envisioning this potential negative. So I had an inspiration kind of late night. It was probably three in the morning and I ran over to the kid and I, I like interrupted both of the friends and I said, maybe the option is that we can completely transcend into the atmosphere and those the humans that are able to do that at some point through whatever combination of practice and diet and mentality and atmospheric conditions we could actually do that and go into a, a different state of light different state of being and that's how we escape the doom of earth if there were a doom and that the kid i was talking to was into it but the kid who he was talking to basically said we don't want your crystals over here. We have our own vibes. I don't want to hear any of this. Like maybe it was we were being a little bit too overpowering, overbearing. This was me and one one or two other people that were doing. I was doing it almost comedically, but she, the other person, was maybe more serious about it. And it threw it threw off the vibes of the party. And I've thought about it many times since then. Everything was fine after about two minutes, but like during that moment, it really resonated. It touched me that somebody who I grew up with had had no desire whatsoever to think about potentially helping the world. In that moment, it may have been the fact that it was three in the morning. You planted that seed, and so Uh, when you first are introducing an idea. There's, there's, there's resistance and a fight. Mm. And then eventually there's acceptance. And in, then in the culture, it becomes the norm. So what's an example of one of those things having happened positively over the past 20 years? Uh, um, there, there's, there's so many examples of the brilliant geniuses of the world introducing ideas you know the world the world isn't flat the earth isn't flat the earth is round those those i don't know the names of the people of the scientists 
They were hazed. Some of them were hung. Some of them were killed. Um, in other ways, brutally, the, the shamans, the creatives, the cultural intuitives, the witch trials, the, you know, now women are rising and the feminine. The hippies. Well, the, 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 you know, what, what's a hippie? Yeah, that's a great question. I would love what's to hear a hippie? So I pride myself on the intersectionality between the quote unquote mainstream and the hippies and the, and that reimagine Turtle Creek event was an example. Yeah, for sure. Of the intersectionality of every level of culture and ethnic biodiversity in one room. And I knew all those people or most of them or had met them. And befriended them within the week or two before that event. All of, okay, okay, I see. But the, the what it is is that was an example of. I mean, the person from the League of Women Voters said, "Wow, there was a really diverse group here. There were young people, there were old people, there were there were children, there were babies." There were people that wouldn't normally step into that community there. And there was a man in his 80s who stepped in and, and confronted me right away earlier in the afternoon and said, what are you doing here? What's this going to do for me? Why am I here? My grandfather was, a, my grandparents were slaves. You come in here, who, you know, who do you think you are? And I looked at him after I went back into myself and I used a lot of my, you know, Ho'oponopono techniques. Do you know that? Mm -mm. Um, I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. You're thinking this in your I'm head sorry. and trying to push it this. out from your heart to him. I'm not pushing. Like I'm trying to share the energy of that or in that. So you don't have to I always imagine like a beam of love coming from my heart. That may be That's a beautiful thing. Okay, if that works. That's beautiful. What is it that works for any individual? So this guy who came up with Ho'oponopono was a psychiatrist, I think. He worked in a prison in Hawaii. He never saw the prisoners. He went to his office in the jail, and he just took their records, and he repeated those four phrases over and over again. Ho'oponopono? Ho'oponopono. He said, I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you, and then he would you know, come up with different things. I'm sorry that you have shackles on your legs. I'm sorry that you're, you were abused as a child. It was a high-security prison. Hmm. I think that Joe Vitale has written several books on Ho'oponopono. I forget the guy's name, the, the Hawaiian gentleman who, who did this work. The prison over a course of time went from high-security to medium-security. To, to The prison went away, I'm pretty sure. I mean, don't quote me on that. But the point is... When we change our minds, when I first started doing Ho'oponopono and I said, I'm not sorry. What am I sorry for? It's not my fault. It's not me. It's that. It's this. It's this apartment person. I can't talk to them. They, they, they're supplying gas to my stove. I've been here for a month. Yeah. What am I doing? It's not, it's not them. It's all of us. We are one. We are the collective. And so... And I'm talking to myself now. I have to keep settling myself down. I get, I'm, I'm, I love life. I love everything and everybody and everyone. But you, 
but I'm not always in that state. So how do I come back to self? How do we come back to ourselves and know that we are all hippie? We are all executive. We are all Trump. We are all that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to it's hard for anybody, no matter who you are, to say you don't want to have a beautiful, wild environment accessible. Except that there are a lot of people that have been raised unfortunately, in ways or exposed to trauma that has been so deeply embedded in them, they don't know, they don't have the tools to get out. I think you've got great tools. Yeah. I know I've developed tools. I've been blessed. How do, we, how do we then share our gift so that others can be empowered? And yeah, I mean, what you were talking about, the, the transcending energetic levels, not everybody wants to hear that. I've chased loads of people away. I forget your original question, but you were asking an, of an example of something. Um, there's so over many time, threads. Over the past 20 years, something that was initially brought up as a... Oh, yes, I have a great one. Radical idea, and then now we I, all I, do it I, positively. Well, I don't know if we all do it yet, but my family understands it. So that's where it can start, in your family. Okay, uh, so I, I... Eight years ago, dove into veganism as a raw living foodist unintentionally. Uh, from being a carnivore, meat, potatoes, my mother made a mean chicken soup and matzo balls, and I did too, and brisket and lamb chops and all that stuff. Yeah. I always ate vegetables, uh, you know, anyway. At that um, point, it wasn't part of a massive industrial system as big as it is now. But uh, right. even back then, it, it probably still had environmental impact. Well, after World War impact. II, the 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 uh, you know the bomb chemicals became pesticides, and so th there were no you know before World War II there were no herbicides, pesticides, <laughs> yeah. fungicides sprayed on crops. So it was a whole different thing. It wasn't in the food chain in the way that it is now. So what was the first uh, so, moment so, where? So I, I um, I became when I became a raw living foodist. I became an MSG detector, you know, monsodium glutamate that, that goes into food as a flavoring very commonly in Chinese food, but there's 20 different ingredients that can mimic the glutamate response. I became an MSG detector. So I, we would go out to dinner with my family and I'd say, there's MSG in these beans. There's MSG in this wow. soup. And they'd say, no, there isn't. And I would embarrass the, the heck out of our younger, you know, our kids were younger then. Every, they would like cover their faces up. They were really embarrassed. What to kind go of out effect did it have on your body? Um, my my brain would start to swim, so I couldn't think straight. And I and I because my system had become like so purified that I, so. But what I started to do then was ask the chef. I'd have them come out. I'd have the chef come out, and lo and behold, they they bring out a can or a bag or something, and it would it would be clearly labeled. And there were several several times like the we you know restaurants in Pittsburgh, and 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 they. They would swear. There was one restaurant, a Spanish restaurant we went to. They said, there's no MSG in our food. And I said, there's MSG. In, we ordered like four different soups. There's MSG in three of them. I didn't say it, though, with my family. I got up. I went to the bar. And I said, I, I want to talk to the owner of this restaurant. And he, he then went back into the kitchen. Look, there was MSG. And then he brought me a liqueur. I don't drink. I, I don't drink now. I don't need to drink. I'm high on life. You know, my husband gives me a time when I say that because he says that's so 70s. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the 70s, okay? But, but besides that. It seems that, like you are. You have this reverberating jubilance. 
and that's, and that's what, from the, the that, new MSGs. That's what we are. We are that. We are all that. How do we get back to that? That's what we can work on. If you want to work, <laughs> work on yourself. Because mm-hmm. once you are that, then others are that as well. Because we're mirror. We, we're mirrors. We have mirror neurons in our brains. We mirror those that, that we surround ourselves with. And you're providing that, that vegan food at the reimagine session, the envisioning session. I think that probably had an enormously positive effect on the way everyone worked together after, after we ate. That was extremely planned. I planned literally. It was the, one of the best catering, catering uh, dishes, arrangements that I'd ever had. Definitely as a vegan one because I don't think I've ever seen a vegan one. So, it, so that goes back to a restaurant that was here in Pittsburgh. Uh, right in Squirrel Hill. Um, Who was it? It was called Basha 21 before it closed. But I, I you know, maintained a relationship with the people that owned it. Um, I used to have an office here, you mm-hmm. know, an optometry office in, in, in Squirrel Hill. So, um, but now... <laughs> the vegan revolution is happening. Vegan... And has been so, over the so, past 20 so, years. And then what I've realized is... but So, so my... I just want to finish up on yeah, that yeah, for sure. a minute. So my family then started to believe me you know family dynamics in my in my experience at least are tricky core family can be really tricky and you can just want to say it's all their fault it has nothing to do with me and I'm out of here instead of moving through whatever it is and then letting that go and then appreciating the joy and the connection because you are connected (laughs) We're all connected, but we're especially connected with, with our families, you know. So th- then they started to believe me, and so there was a better dynamic. And you're more of a, you're a role model based on showing them, look, I can be successful and have all this energy if, you eat, if I eat this way. Then mm-hmm. they see that and feel it and maybe want that for themselves, even if they don't admit it. And then it takes a while. Well, for right now, our daughters are not, are not vegan. They're not plant-based, but they eat a lot of, they eat a lot of what we eat. Yeah. And I think they understand it, but they're not doing that right now. And that's okay. And so it's for me <laughs> to let go of any, it gives me the test of judgment of all this different stuff. I mean, I, I, I've, I, my brain has changed with veganism. It's just changed. You don't, you don't have to take drugs. Your brain changes. It, it wakes up more. We're living. So when you eat living foods that are, that are you know, Hopefully not processed, but there's this whole, there's all these different, that's what my master's thesis was on that I just, I'm writing a book based on. Mm-hmm. There's this whole range of veganism. It's from, from junk food veganism, those that love the animals, on one side of the spectrum. They're, they're, people are not taking care of themselves. They're, taking, they're externalizing and just taking care of the animals. That's one, one set. Externalizing. Okay, externalizing. Yeah. They're taking care of the animals. Yeah. And the, then there's the more like I'm doing this for my own personal health type of person. That there's health, yeah, there's health, and then there's this other end of the spectrum, which is I dove into a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm more moderate now than I was a couple of years ago. There's the raw living foodist spiritualist, basically. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so it's but it's been a it was a fascinating thing to learn. Think about the economic benefits. I, I talk about veganism a decent amount on this show. I'm like I'm probably ninety percent. I'll still That's I, I don't eat beef. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a dream last night about eating a hamburger though, <laughs> and it was like this weird. It was it was a meat that was created in a laboratory. 
and Burger King was the first restaurant to adopt it, and I ate it. In and your I dream, think it was somewhat satisfying. It's like this beef that literally doesn't have a didn't come from a cow, but it's the same genetic makeup. And they're that like Richard Branson is investing heavily in it right so now. So this makes me really nervous. It's weird. Very nervous. Um, so you wouldn't what, be able to tell the difference. What if? What if we all understood that as we, if we all went vegan tomorrow, I mean the whole wide world, in eight weeks, it's been said, we could, we could start to reverse climate change. Like, come on, what are we doing? You know, you can go into deep depression when you think about it. If you just perseverate on that, if you just keep thinking about that, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? So, but there's transitional moments. So what if you, you dream about that hamburger and you actually eat your vegan diet, and every once in a while, okay, you know, you might want to eat a hamburger, but as time goes on, I mean, there were times that I, I kind of ate some meat, some red meat, some chickens, some fishes in between there, but then I reached a point where my brain kept changing, my brain kept changing. This is over the course of eight years, and now I can't, I can't think about eating meat because it makes me sick. It makes me sick. Now, that's my own issue right now because sometimes I'm in a place where there's a lot of meat <laughs> and it's all around me. And, mm. and, and so that's my challenge now to be centered and empathetic and understand that that's me too because I'm 58. That was 50 years of my life. That's me too. So you started the vegan, uh, what do you call it? What's the full-on definition of your type of... Well, I'm not. I well, I've been through a lot of phases of it. So I was a raw living foodist. Raw living foodist. But now it's more. I eat cooked foods. I mean, winter in Pittsburgh. Um, it's spiritual nutrition. Gabriel Cousins is my major mentor. Um, spiritual nutrition is an epic book. Epic, epic, epic book. Um, he's also written conscious eating. He's written like loads and loads of books. Um, peace. It's it's all about the raising of the kundalini, you know, moving moving back into your full self, and it, it starts with diet. Diet's just part of it. That's the basis of it. And, you know, they think that the modern the modern living Essenes is what they think you know Christ was. And I'm you know I'm not even Christian, but mm-hmm. but you look at the how they lived. The food was the basis of it, and then meditation and prayer and their the way that they lived. And so it's like, but wait a minute, you know I. I had some baklava the other day and the guy who owns the restaurant in Regent Square, he's like, you can't eat that. It's not vegan. And I, I'm like, I make an exception sometimes because it was his baklava and he made it, you know, and he, it was clarified butter. And I, you know, I knew it wasn't really going to be the best for me. And it, you know, it takes me a day or two to clear it out of my yeah. system. But so I'm not as purist as people might think that I am, but the meat stuff I, I, I haven't, I, I'm, that I can't, I just can't do it. It's like flesh, but maybe, but ceremonially 5,000 years ago, people ate, ate meat ceremonially a little bit every once in a blue moon, once every year, once every six months, once, you know, just think about, just think about, here's my activist nature coming out, you know, just think about lessening it, lessening it. Yeah. Meatless Monday, you know, that's a huge one. One meal a day, maybe. Yeah. Breakfast is already easy. Hardly, I mean, people still like bacon. I'll still eat bacon. 
<laughs> go to a, go to a slaughterhouse. See how they yeah. see what they oh, do with so the pigs, scary. and then see if you eat bacon. That's what I say to people. Mm, and I'm that I'm, would be scary. I'm I'm more able to say that like to somebody like you. I I, I, yeah, I yeah. I'm not here. I am with a microphone in my face saying it to you, but I know I'm watching your expression. You know as a neurodevelopmental optometrist and vision therapy, that's been my specialty for my whole career. It's like I read body language. We all do. You don't really want to eat pig anymore, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to try some of the pretend bacon, you know, that's made out of chickpeas or something, but, Oh, but that's processed. Oh, what do I do? Well, maybe food is not, you know, maybe that's not what it's about anymore. I mean, it's like just being conscious of, but maybe, maybe the consciousness thing is something like whole different and maybe we can, we can be something else and transcend this energetic level, you know? And, and those of us who don't, who can't, people are dying left and right. They're checking out, you know? And, and, and drinking and smoking and just externalizing like numbing, numbing, numbing. You're numbing because it's painful. It's painful, and it takes work. It takes work. You know, it's it not helps the kind if you of have a, a partner in in your venture. I think that that's what help, has helped me in the past. And then someone who wanted me to do it, and then that they showed me the ways on a daily basis. If it weren't for those people, then I couldn't have done it. So maybe you need a partner. Do you take that with you now? Do you always yeah, need that I partner? Yeah, now I try to be the part. Now I don't. Now I don't. We all need so. teachers. Mm-hmm. We all need teachers. And we yeah, all are it's teachers. Kind of, it's like your mom teaching you how to be an activist in the first place to a, to a degree. Whatever she was doing, she was your initial teacher. Now you become the role model. So now I had my initial teacher. Now for a lot of people on this podcast, I would become yes, somewhat of a role are model that. for them. You are that. So that's cool. It seems like all of these... Everything is always connected to business, especially in the United States of America. And it seems like the business is the reason why we have problems. Uh, but can you use business positively? And that's that was one of my favorite parts about the reimagine Turtle Creek. I like to talk about bootstrap business, which is kind of, is a more self self uh, initiated business. Uh, entrepreneurs entrepreneurship where you're using a lot of your own finances instead of taking loans out eventually you might have to take a loan but starting out you don't need to take out a ten thousand dollar business loan if you're 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 just getting your footing in uh in the business world but for somebody like this guy named brandon dennison as part of the what was it called the coal field development that was his project, mostly like the areas around the coal fields. He was trying to provide other options for those people instead of working in the coal fields. Um, that was really, really impressive to me because he said there was thousands upon thousands of people that they've taken out of the coal industry and given them another option in sustainable living or they had a t-shirt company and I'm sure they have an, a branch of media that they do if they even had that video. Uh, so that was really cool. Do you think it was easier for him outside of the city because there's less bina- uh, barriers to entry financially? I don't, I don't think so. What reimagined Turtle Creek is about is 
you know, it's 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 part of Westmoreland County. It's part of Allegheny County. It's it's we're plus the plus part means the city. We my my grandparents were immigrants to this country. They came here with nothing. And we all have that history in the United States. We we, we came as slaves. We came as, you know, post-Holocaust. We came because we were getting kicked out of some reason. And so just know, a couple of generations back, you've got that in you. And this is a moment in time to reawaken that. So it's just like letting go of of your perceived limitations. Um, the Ujama Collective is a great example oh, yeah, of she, grassroots. Frankie. Frankie. She was amazing. Yes. Um, you know, go hang out around some of these places and, and see what people are doing. Um, and, and you, you, you know, you can, you can do it too. Just, uh, you know, half the time I'm not even sure I know what I'm talking about, but, but I'm, just meditating more and staying open to spirit and see, you know, seeing, seeing what comes through and hopefully people are kind of picking up threads and, and moving into themselves more deeply so that they can express and connect more deeply. Hmm. I love that. (sighs) Thank you very much for this conversation. Um, I know your, your book that you were, you're writing now still in the writing process. What is it? What's the name of it? It's called Enlivening Consciousness, Spirituality, Wellness, and Veganism. At least this is the working title, A Neurodevelopmental Optometrist's View. Okay. And so it started out as my master's thesis, and then I realized I can't, that's not a book necessarily. Although my great friend Amanda Maloney, who you interviewed <laughs> recently, said, well, so let me take a look at that. You know, maybe I can give you some ideas. So I, really? I, she's, she had some hand in that initial. I was wondering why you chose to write about that's the concepts you did. Well, the master's thesis was on spirituality and live food nutrition. That's what I got my master's degree in. Um, I, I was just inspired to write it because I, I, it's a, it's a story I could tell if, you know, if we have a couple more minutes. Um, yeah, sure. I've been, I've working with Gabriel cousins and, um, wound up staying there for four and a half weeks out in Patagonia, Arizona, number 2015 and um i went back for like continuing education and he's written a book on reversing diabetes using the raw living foods lifestyle there are many whole food plant-based people who've written books on reversing diabetes as well um but he put a i'm an eye doctor right so he put a slide up talking about reversing diabetic retinopathy those are the changes that happen in the back of the eye that cause blindness um when you have diabetes Talking, he talked about he put a slide up about reversing diabetic retinopathy using this lifestyle, and I thought I never learned that in school. So I went up to him after the day long lecture, and I said, and he was talking about doing a study with a larger cohort of people, larger group of people than had been used in the book he wrote about reversing diabetes. And um, I said, who's going to do the vision part of your study? And he said, oh, I didn't think I could do that. And I just <clears> like <throat> was looking over my shoulders. I can do that. And so I signed up for this master's thesis. This was a couple of years ago. And uh, the next thing I knew, he, I was into it. He, you know, we had to read 100 books and write these papers. And I, I, like, I don't need another degree. And I, I, but I, I was so interested because in my field, I thought that's how I can affect the medical field. 
you know, the medical field is so, <laughs> I'm not going to be judgmental here. I don't even have to say anything to whoever's listening right, to this. Yeah, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, the, 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 the depth of anyway. So I, and then a couple of uh, months into the master's thesis, he lost his funding for that study. And so I, that's when I wound up doing a survey and doing and learning about the range of veganism. So and now I just have to simplify it some. I think I want I want people to be able to read. And Amanda's like, well, I'd like to read the technical version, you know. So I'm I'm. It's gonna it's a mixture. I mean, I have poetry in there, but I've got studies in there. But uh, you know, and and then and right now veganism is exploding. Raw living foodism is not exploding because people don't quite understand that they just people who love the animals let go of meat, chickens, and fishes, and and dairy, you know, dairy. But but they don't understand how to take care of themselves. So people really they do need to be taught. And there's a great app, twenty one day vegan kickstart. Hmm. Neil Barnard, it's free. It's a free app. It gives you ingredients for three meals a day. Um, uh, there's videos. It, uh, you know, you can you can have the recipes, and there's um, Jane Unchained on on the internet is awesome. She she does live stuff all over the place. I just saw her; she was live streaming Neil Barnard about all the accomplishments from this year, 2019. Um, there's like there's great stuff happening. I believe that we are in the enlightenment right now. Like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> you can you can you can be part of it, or you can. You can just be who you have been, and it, it you kind of it, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, you, you can know? take a nap if you want to, uh, uh, if you can, if you can, give yourself a week off if possible. A lot of people, I think, a lot of people listening to this show are probably more in that position that they could take a week off, and that's part of the nomad theory is to have skills that you can Im- apply and work with, and make money, and then freely upon your own accord leave that business for a period and then come back as a nomad would. So if you are able to do that, give yourself a sabbatical, a nice gap quest, like come up with a, a mission for yourself, similar to the way your master's thesis seemed to seem to go. That one, uh, you already wanted to study that and work on a research and you figured, why don't I get a master's at the same time? That sounded like it really aligned well for you and it's resulting in, the, the future of this book. Um, so I had a flashback the other day. I was, I lay down sometimes on the floor during the day. I just lay down and I flashed back to when I was in kin- nursery school and we used to lay down. They had nap time and they would give us graham crackers and milk. Graham was one of the original vegans. Graham of the graham cracker. <laughs> Are you serious? And I was eating he was like a vegan and and i was drinking or maybe he was vegetarian but i I was drinking we would drink milk and graham crackers and i thought yeah (laughs) now it's you know something other than a graham cracker because that's known it's really processed food the wheat is polluted you know i'm not drinking milk i'm drinking nut milks or other kinds of milks but um you can make your own that's the best i can't always do that you know but you you don't without self-judgment just do what you can in those moments but yeah i i life's a journey not a destination so if one person is sparked for one thing and i already feel happy because you took a few notes you know while yeah we were i'm going to go back and do a whole, <laughs> write a whole article about this so you'll be able to check it out on the internet and in the uh intro but yeah 
that seems like a nice place to kind of wrap up where you look inside yourself and on a daily basis, what small changes can you make? Go take a walk in the woods, people. The trees are going to tell you secrets. I guarantee it. All right. Thank you very much, Alyssa Beck. Thank you for your blessing of this podcast and everything you're nomading. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Nomad Theory, folks. Stay wild. On the Nomad Theory podcast, I interview eccentric people who embody the nomadic mindset while we sip interesting beverages. And then on Sundays, I read absurd writing pieces from the Absurd Word Writing Contest. For more information about the Absurd Words Writing Contest, visit nomadtheory.net. There, at nomadtheory.net, you'll also find podcast show notes, a bootstrap business page, a catalog of interesting beverages, a medicinal plant library, and a series of extensive written theories. By implementing a combination of TNT principles and nomadic skills, you have the power to explore exotic and absurd lifestyles before deciding which one is meant for you. And for a limited time eternity, visit nomadtheory.net and sign up for my occasional newsletter, Theories from the Road, which is a trip of its own, but you'll also receive a video of me playing the flute in a special outfit. Changes seasonally. Feel free to contact me on Twitter or Instagram at AceTheTheorist, where I post daily theories. And as per usual, today's music was provided by the Good Lords and their song, Evidence Song. Please take a deep breath. (sighs) Feel alive, fellow theorists, for the age of intuition is upon us. Thanks for listening to The Nomad Theory. I'm Ace the Theorist. Stay wild, folks. Stay wild.